Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jenny, thank you very much for reading for us, and let me add my welcomes to Ben. It's very good to see you here this morning, a very warm welcome. And do keep your Bibles open at that reading from John 11, it's on page 1078 in the Pew Bibles, and don't worry, we will get to the end of the story in case you're concerned this morning. But let's pray as we turn to God's Word together. Father, we have before us this morning words of tremendous agony and despair and also words of tremendous hope and life. And please, as we think about our own lives and our own view of Jesus, would you help us to be those who put our hope in him, even in the darkest of moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can imagine you've had that experience where you've been watching a film and persistently throughout the whole film, it's been lighthearted and full of hope and joy. But then right at the very end of the film, the final two minutes, disaster. Perhaps the, uh, the hero of the story uh, dies unexpectedly. And uh, you know how it leaves you feeling, no matter how good most of the film has been, even if the first 99% is brilliant and, and full of life and hope, if the last 
is death, then it, it changes everything about the film. Because, of course, the ending changes everything. Uh, we've seen this on our TV screens in, in Rio. Uh, Adam Peaty was the first um, British athlete to win a gold in the swimming pool. And uh, as he was being interviewed afterwards, he was describing how he had spent seven years of his life training for that one race. All the early morning starts and the hard work, the agony, the discipline, the saying no to other things in life, it was all for this one race. And as he stood there, grinning from ear to ear, he said, it's all been worth it. He got the gold. Of course, you can imagine if he had come last, it wouldn't be joy, there'd be tears, because the ending changes everything. It's true with films and gold medals and, dare I say it, with exams and results. But it is most wonderfully and terribly true with life itself. We've been dipping into John's gospel over the summer, looking at these great I am sayings of Jesus. And this morning, the issue is all about what happens to us at the end of our lives. In John's gospel, we've seen Jesus do amazing things. He's turned water into wine and fed thousands of people with bread. He's given a a blind man his sight and a sick boy his health. But can I speak bluntly this morning? What's the point of the wine and the bread and the health and the sight if the story always ends in death? But this morning, Jesus says something incredible. Verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Can I suggest this morning that we cannot live life to the full now unless we know how our lives end? The ending always changes everything. We don't like to talk about the ending, our death, the death of loved ones. We prefer to ignore it or push it to the back of our lives, downplay it somehow. We prefer, if we can, to live in the moment, but we can't ignore this ending. For one day, each of us, whether it's a loved one or our own lives, will come face to face with the reality of death. And this morning, Jesus would say to each of us, I can change how your life ends. That's what this morning is all about. As we watch Lazarus come to the end of his life, I've got two points to take us through John 11. Uh, First is this. Jesus understands the problem of death. You may know the story well. We pick it up partly through our, uh, the, the, the actual story, but our, our reading uh, begins uh, looking at, um, uh, well, the, the passage begins looking at uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, back in the first part of John 11. Back in, in verse three, they send word to Jesus because their brother Lazarus is gravely ill. And it's clear why they've contacted Jesus, because he's a miracle worker. He can heal people. It's obvious they want him to come and heal their sick brother. But after hearing news about Lazarus, verse six over the page, Jesus waits two more days. All this means that by the time he does arrive into Bethany, verse 17, well, it's too late. 
Lazarus has been dead four days. And straight away, we find the main characters in our story grappling with a very real problem. It's the problem that I suspect each of us will have to grapple with at some point in our lives. It's there in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think this is a rebuke aimed at Jesus. It's clear that Martha still respects him and wants him to be there. But I think we see here raw emotional agony and confusion. The one person who could have prevented her brother from dying, Jesus, for he was a miracle worker, that one person didn't come in time. He didn't prevent death. And the worst has happened. Lazarus has died. And in her agony, she doesn't quite know why. Why wasn't he there? Then there's Mary, verse 32, the other sister. And she has exactly the same reaction as Martha. Look at verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then later on, some Jews who had come to mourn with this broken family add their thoughts into the mix. So look at verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I think we can understand the pain and confusion, can't we? Imagine rushing up to the A&E department at the Northern General with a friend who's gravely ill, but ill such that if treated, they will survive. And as you rush into the A&E department, you, you, you come screaming for help. And for once, there's lots of spare beds and there's lots of capacity. There's lots of doctors around. They're free. But as you plead and scream and shout, no one comes rushing to you. And as you wait, your friend just slips away and they die. You would be confused. You would be puzzled because the people who could have helped didn't. I think that is the sense of what we find here in John 11. The two sisters, the crowds, they understand Jesus can heal people and yet he didn't come. The worst has happened. Lazarus has died. Why didn't he come? They might wonder if he doesn't even care about death itself. And of course, this is no academic question. I imagine in a room this size, there'll be some who have sat beside the bed of a loved one who is gravely ill. And we have cried out and pleaded to God, please come and rescue this loved one, heal them, restore them. And they've got better. But there'll be others who have found themselves in the same place, crying out in agony. And they have not got better. And they've died. And I think that is the dynamic for Mary and Martha. They've been sending out desperate pleas, letters, please come, please come, but... Jesus has done nothing. And so they've watched their loved one die. And in those moments of raw emotion, as I think we find here in John 11, it can be utterly confusing. 
Well, John 11 helps us to rule out one conclusion because we see here that Jesus does care a very great deal about death. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Our translation doesn't quite capture the severity of Jesus' emotions. The word translated uh, deeply moved has the, the sense of anger, of fury. He is deeply agitated. Again in verse 38, it's the same word. He is deeply moved as he comes towards the tomb. And I think at least in part, he is so furious, so angry because he is seeing the impact that death has on those he loves. He is raging at death. He is so agitated because of the brokenness of living in this fallen world. He is furious. And we know that must be the case because verse 35, we're told, Jesus wept. I used to like this verse when I was younger because I think it's the shortest verse in the Bible. And so I used to go around telling people that I knew uh, lots about the Bible because I knew the shortest verse. It's a good trivia um, point to have it up your sleeve. But as I've got older and gone through more of life, I don't like this verse anymore. I love it. I cling on to it. Because this verse tells me that in the darkest moments when I am confronted with the agony of death and loss and despair, Jesus weeps with me. He understands what it's like to live in a broken world. He cares about death. He weeps with us. The tears we shed are not shed on our own. Jesus understands the problem of death. He is not aloof. He is not distant. He is not ignorant of our pain and suffering when death crosses our path. Some of you may have heard that uh, terrible story last week in the news of a family in the US, a family of five, two parents and three children. Uh, They were driving down a highway in the US. They were planning to be missionaries in Japan. They had almost completed their training. They were going to the the final stop for one month to finish their training before flying off to Japan to be missionaries. And on the way, on the highway, they were involved in a terrible accident and all five were killed. Just like that. Their story tragically cut short. How does God feel about that? He weeps. He rages at death. He is furious. Death is a robber. It's a thief. It robs us of our dreams, of our relationships. It takes away our work and it makes a mockery of all our plans. And Jesus knows that a story that ends with death is a devastating story. On one hand, this is hugely encouraging because it shows us that Jesus understands our problem with death. He understands why we find death so terrible and his tears validate our tears. There's also, I think, a challenge here because so many people in our world today cope with the problem with death by ignoring it and downplaying it and pretending it doesn't matter that much. Think of those famous words from the poet Henry Scott Holland read so often at funerals. Death is nothing at all. I have only slipped away to the next room. I am I and you are you. 
whatever we were to each other, that we still are. It's a lovely idea, but it's not how Jesus views death. Jesus understands the problem of death. But again, let me ask, if he understands the problem of death, why didn't he come and prevent Lazarus' death when he could have done? What I'm about to say this morning uh, in no way deals with our problems with suffering and death completely, and not for a second. But I do think here in John 11, at least in part, what is going on here is that Jesus delayed his coming precisely because he knew how big a problem death is. You see, if he had come rushing at the first call to heal Lazarus, then he would have been worshipped as a healer. But by delaying his arrival, he will be worshipped as one who brings resurrection and life from the grave. You see, he knows how big a problem death is, and so he wants to show us this morning that he can come and deal with this great problem of death itself. Of course, we struggle to believe that, don't we? I think another reason why Jesus is so upset in John 11 is by the lack of faith from the people around him. They know that Lazarus is dead and they think his story is over forever. And yet next to them stands the one who has just said, I am the resurrection and the life. And just as people back then so now, we so often struggle to believe that Jesus really has got that kind of power to fix our greatest problem, death itself. And so we need John 11 to help us believe that this is true. And that takes us to our second point. Remember, first, Jesus understands the problem of death. Well, second, Jesus alone has power over death. I remember a few months ago taking a funeral of a lady who died, uh, not from this church family. And uh, after the service, I was talking to a family member. I discovered that it was their grandmother who had just died. And this person, I think, was in their late 20s, perhaps early 30s. And as I got speaking to them, it became clear that this was the first time they'd actually encountered death in a kind of personal, immediate way. And I remember speaking to them and they were just overwhelmed. They were shocked by the rawness, the finality of what they just experienced. They, they weren't able to process it. I imagine that is how Martha is feeling as Jesus arrives on the scene here in John 11, back towards the beginning of our reading. But where I stumble with my words as I try to comfort this grieving person, Jesus does not stumble with his words. Look at what he says, verse 23. To a person who's grieving the loss of a brother, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now back in Jesus' day, there was quite a debate amongst the Jews about whether there was life after death. Uh, You might know that there was one group called the Sadducees who thought there was no resurrection from the dead. Another group, the, the Pharisees, believed that there was a resurrection. Here, Martha clearly gives her position, verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's a good answer. Uh, She is right. There is a resurrection to come at the end of the age when time is over. But what Jesus says next changes everything. Verse 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you believe in a resurrection at the end of time in in life beyond the grave? Well, I am the one through which these things will come. I am the resurrection and I am the life. It's worth just unpacking the the sheer enormity of what he's saying here. On one hand, he's saying, I am the resurrection. And he goes on to explain what he means at the end of verse 25. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He's talking here about a physical existence after our physical death. Lazarus is a picture of this. He died physically He was put into a tomb wrapped in grave clothes and then he came back to life physically, alive, recognizable to his friends and family. And of course, this is a picture of an even greater resurrection for in a little while, there was another man who was put into a grave dead, wrapped in grave clothes, but came out of the tomb, the the, the clothes cast aside to resurrection life. Jesus is the first fruits of eternal resurrection And unlike Lazarus, who will die again, Jesus will never die again. And his resurrection body is a picture of what we will experience when we too rise from the dead with resurrection bodies. And this means, of course, that we won't just be sort of memories sloshing around in the universe. We we won't even just be spiritual beings somewhere up in the clouds. No, we will be physical, recognizable beings, able to work and eat and uh, respond in relationships and do life. And the most wonderful thing of all is that the bodies we will receive upon our resurrection are bodies that will never die again. They will be eternal bodies. And just as the disciples could see and touch and recognize Jesus after his resurrection, so we will be able to see and touch and recognize all the loved ones we have lost in this life. That is what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection. It's a wonderful promise for all those who believe in Jesus. So wonderful, I think, in fact, that Martha doesn't quite understand the gravity of what he's saying to her. So she responds in verse 27 to his question, do you believe? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ." the son of God who comes into the world. It's a good answer. It's a very good answer for Martha. But it's not quite the question that Jesus asked. And later on in verse 39, when Jesus asks for the stone to be moved away from the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus clear, um, Martha clearly doesn't understand that he has come to bring her brother back from the dead. She hasn't quite got it yet, the sheer enormity of what he's offering her. And I think it can be hard for us to believe the same. For our loved ones, for ourselves, that one day there will be a real physical bodily resurrection to eternal life after the grave. And that is why it's so important that Jesus backs up his claim with action. Verse 43, just beyond our reading, with a simple command, Jesus calls the dead man Lazarus, And he comes back to life. He walks out of the tomb for all to see. And here is a a very public display of power 
that backs up the claims of Jesus. And of course, everyone knew about what happened to Lazarus. It, was, um, it became kind of common knowledge because people knew Lazarus, they knew he died, and then they saw him back to life again. Look forward to John 12, verse 9, to see the impact of Lazarus on the Jews. Verse 9 of chapter 12, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to see Jesus, over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Do you see how public this resurrection had been? People who knew him, they knew he died, and now they see him alive, and they were putting their trust in Jesus because this was a physical, visible, public miracle that backed up this incredible claim of Jesus. I am the resurrection. And of course, later on in John's gospel, when Jesus himself is raised from the dead, John's at pains to show us that this miracle really happened. The disciples saw, touched, heard, encountered the risen Jesus. It really has happened. There is life after the grave. Which means that each of us here this morning, even though we may find ourselves at times profoundly struggling to believe, well, we have tremendous evidence to believe. There is life after death. And so each of us this morning, Jesus would say to us, I have power over death. But there is more to the claim. Back in verse 25, Jesus says that I am the resurrection. But he goes on to say that he is also the life. And I think what he means by life is explained in verse 26 where he says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, there's no um, contradiction here, because at one hand he said, you will die and then live, and then next he says, you'll never die. So some go, well, you know, he's confused about life and death, but he's not confused. Yes, we will all die physically, but here Jesus is talking about spiritual life, eternal life. And that life starts the moment we put our trust in Jesus. We come into a relationship with him, which means that we don't have to put life into the mothballs until we are resurrected on that day. No, life begins now for anyone who trusts in Jesus. We have relationship with God the Father. We have our sins forgiven. And I think most particularly here in John 11, we have certainty about how our life ends. Which means today, this week, as we go about doing life now, we know how the story ends, which means that we can live life now as we should, with hope and confidence and joy. Of course, we won't find life anywhere else, not in exam result success, or in gold medals, or career advancement, or vitamin supplements, or gym membership. This kind of life is only found through Jesus. He alone has power over death. As we close, in many ways, this whole chapter is all about the glory of Jesus. We are told that back in verse four, the uh, tragic events of the death of Lazarus has become a canvas in the course of history upon which Jesus has painted his glory by showing us that he has power over death I do wonder, therefore, if our own experience of death 
if our experience of the raw agony and suffering that comes through the brokenness of death, I wonder if that experience will play a key part in our understanding of the true glory of Jesus. I don't say this glibly. Death is far too terrible for that. But when we see how terrible death is, then I think all the tears will become fuel for the fire of our praise for the glorious one who has rescued us from such a terrible fate, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, the one who has conquered death. The ending changes everything. No matter how much we try to ignore it or suppress it, we know that our lives will end with death. But here in John 11, Jesus offers to change the way our lives end, once and for all. I do wonder, have we accepted this gift of eternal life? Have we come to Jesus and said, I need help, would you rescue me? Have we prayed a prayer of trust and acceptance? If you're not sure how to do that, come and speak to me afterwards, or or Ben, we'd love to speak to you more. But if we have, and I know many of you have here this morning, then even though there will be tears and distress and confusion confusion along the way, there is a rock for our feet. There is a source of joy which transcends all the tears because we know how our story ends. And we know that through Jesus, it ends in eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of John 11. For this text does not deny the reality of death, does not push it away or ignore it, but it rather confronts it head on. And I thank you that even in that clarity about death, we have wonderful clarity about the work of Jesus. Father, please, would you fill us with a profound sense of peace, even joy, not because death is easy, but because we have a guaranteed ending to our story. And Father, please keep us until that day when we see Jesus face to face and we can rejoice with him in life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.